Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, and I welcome you here to the show. If you are new and are enjoying this podcast, help me help others. Rate and review. Free yourself from narcissistic abuse and draw long-lasting, powerful boundaries. Get your free workshop now at ravenscott.show forward slash free dash workshop. And thank you for the anonymous donor who donated to support the show this week. You can do the same to continue this show to be in production as it is an independent show at ravenscott.show forward slash shop. Today, I am so grateful to share with you Sarah Komodo. She is an amazing human being all the way from across the pond in Australia and maybe in your same country if you are across the pond from me in the U.S. We had a beautiful, brilliant conversation and Sarah is an expert on high conflict co-parenting and narcissistic abuse and also the founder of Narc Proof and Thriving. Sarah's life suddenly changed when she found herself in an abusive marriage. She then took her daughter and her life back and embarked on a personal journey of discovery, research, and healing. Since then, Sarah has, number one, helped thousands of victims and survivors by raising awareness and educating them on narcissistic abuse. Number two, created a three-step signature system to help women co-parent with their high-conflict ex by protecting their energy, using effective communication, and protecting their children. Number three, transformed her own life from a single parent with no job to a healthy, loving, blended family with a partner that also supports her vision to help people thrive despite having a high conflict ex to contend with. Sarah dreams of a world where everyone is aware that there are emotionally unhealthy people who pretend to love you whilst trying to destroy you at the same time with no regard for how you or your children think or feel. What if there could be a world where everyone knows how these people operate? So if they do find themselves in such a situation, whether in the workplace, within the family, or a romantic partner, they know how to recognize the behavior and distance themselves accordingly. Sarah and I are so aligned with that question and mission. Sarah works with parents who are victims and survivors of narcissistic abuse that have already gone through separation or divorce, but still have to navigate the challenges of co-parenting with their high-conflict ex. Sarah helps them manage their own triggers and emotions, which we discuss here on the podcast today, manage the communication, and help their children cope with the negative parenting of their high-conflict ex so that they can find peace to raise emotionally healthy children and live the life they've always wanted without fear. I am so grateful to introduce to you Sarah Komodo on the podcast. I know you truly will enjoy it. You're going to be taking notes probably, soaking up the information, and wanting to reach out to Sarah once you've finished listening to this. So Sarah, you can find her on Instagram at narc underscore proof underscore and underscore thriving and her website narcproofandthriving.com. You can download your free high conflict parenting checklist in the link in the show notes, how to speak to third parties without them thinking you're the problem. 
So download the ultimate checklist today in the show notes. And without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Very excited. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you for being so gracious of your time to, to just share your wealth of information about uh, co-parenting with a highly conflict, highly toxic narcissist. And even if they're not narcissists, people can just be really toxic when there's custody involved. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes use the word narcissist or high conflict, toxic, abusive, whatever it may be. Same bucket. It doesn't matter. It's just someone you're co-parenting with who is difficult and makes your life hell. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about how you came about this work, like what brought you here. And maybe that might tie into my question of like, what does a high conflict parenting coach do? So, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, obviously, uh, as you know, with narcissistic abuse or emotional abuse, whatever you want to phrase it as, you only really have an understanding when you've been through it yourself. It's very hard for others to understand and get it without you sounding crazy, dramatic, overly sensitive, or like you were both kind of at fault. Not that if you're a victim of this, that, you know, you're perfect, but there are certain commonalities that we all seem to resonate with. We, we are certain people and these high conflict people seem to be follow certain patterns as well. So... Yeah, from my own personal experience, I was married, I had a child, I didn't know what was going on until kind of like what happens with most people, you find out researching online, you find some phrases and words, obviously back then, uh, for me, there wasn't social media accounts really talking about this or anyone. How long ago was that? Yeah. Uh, It was like seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So things have come a long way, thankfully, Um, but there there were some resources and it was more, um, I came about this from a phrase that somebody used, they didn't uh, use the (laughs) N-word, you know, the other (laughs) N-word, they didn't use that, but it was was more about the behaviours and I was like Googling Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my God, tick, 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 I need to get the F out of here. Mm -hmm. So you know, I went to see a therapist because this person didn't want to come with me, so I ended up going myself and work things out myself um but it was good to have that space to do that and I just knew that it wasn't the kind of example I wanted to show my daughter of what a relationship was or a household so yeah I planned my you know escape quote-unquote and got out of there um and then went on my own journey to do my own healing uh deep dive into who I was as a person what things made me susceptible to this you know, all that work. Um, and it's hard because you have to face the truth. You have to want to go deep and keep peeling back those layers. But once you do, there is freedom in there because then you can work on the things that are really necessary so that you become, you know, as my name is, not proof. But not just that, and thriving. You thrive in life despite having this person who you can't go no contact with. Um, so though, you know, I went on my own journey and I put these certain tools and strategies and coping mechanisms in place. That then became the kind of blueprint for helping others in the same position. Because if I could do it, yes, it takes work, determination, dedication, and, uh, and promising yourself that you were going to do this for you and your children, then you can do it. 
as well. Like nothing special about me. The only thing is I was determined and I was like, damned if this person was going to destroy me further. So yeah, highly motivated. I'm also a positive, upbeat, happy person in general. And within this situation, I wasn't. So it took away a lot of that. And I, I wanted to get back to who I was. Yeah, sorry. That was a long answer. <laughs> Beautiful. I love the length. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. w- without going through it, as all of us you know, know and experience, without being able to go through it, you truly can't be able to have the the authentic empathy and even just the expertise to know how to do this. Like I said, I'm having you on because I have no idea how to even talk to somebody about this because I didn't gratefully, thankfully, I didn't have to deal with this. Yeah. But so many, yeah. so many of of people have have to co-parent with someone who's highly toxic or is still a child emotionally inside or, mm. you know, is using the child, you know, to manipulate yes. and hurt the other, which is just so sad. It is. It, it is sad and it does happen. And there's nothing you can do to stop that person from doing that, but you can equip yourself once you've done the work to then support your children through it. It's, it is possible. We can't control what they want to do and what their agenda is. Um, and yes, it's the children that suffer, but they don't have to. It's not necessary, you know. On, on your part, that is, you as the, you know, the healthy, safe parent. Yeah. yeah. It just takes going through the grind and putting fear aside. You know, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be scared. You will be scared of the backlash, but um, you just kind of have to put that aside because the benefit of doing something versus not doing something is far outweighs that. Yeah. And you gain your power back and strength as you gain momentum on this journey. That's true. Yes. Yeah. And having to go to court is already something where you really have to build up your self-esteem, your yeah. self-worth, and your courage, because that's scary yeah. alone to be going into court, let alone against this person who's emotionally yeah. put you down, right? Exactly. And yeah. you, you can't really go into it still being a wreck. You have to scrape up as much emotional strength, emotional energy, so that you are solid as a rock, grounded and ready. doesn't mean that you're a robot. But that's what I work with my clients actually ground and protect their energy so that they are unshakable. Uh, you know, you can crumble after a cry, whatever it needs to happen. You know, I remember after you know, my experience and, you know, I read out what the terms were for the orders. You know, I was relieved. Obviously, there's a sense of relief when it's like, ugh, like, this, drop your shoulders. You know, and I cried, but it was like happy tears because it's like such this tension for so long and exhaustion and anxiety. You know, even me, who, you know, I help other people do this, but, you know, we are human. It's our children. It's the most important relationship we have. Yeah. So. Yeah. With yeah, that too, it's grounded. like a battle. Mm-hmm. You're in it, fight or flight mode. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. That's why we, we cannot be derailed. You have to gather up all your energy. You need to keep the high conflict parent on the outside as much as possible at arm's length. And that's where I work with my clients. So they're not penetrating you. They're not in your home energetically. They're not in your mind energetically as much as you can avoid that. You know, but it takes doing something. You can't just keep running in flight and fight. Flight or fight. You can't keep running in anxiety. You know, having having those cortisol levels rising, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. It's not a way to function. It's unsustainable. So when you get that space, you can then go into, put your reserves where they're needed. And is that... A long process because typically once you've planned your exit, you're out, 
and you need to figure out custody pretty soon right away because either one's going to be filing for that. How do you speed up, I would say, that grounding process because you have to be ready for the battle right away? Yes. Well, in the ideal world, as soon as you leave, you have a plan in place for your, I guess, your plan of action, your strategy, your key people in place that are going to support you, like finding the right lawyer or attorney, solicitor, mediator, knowing whether you're going to try mediation. I mean, some places in the world, you have to go through mediation before you go to court. I know a lot of women, you know, women in general, sometimes it's men, I work with some men, but women in general uh, fear initiating court because of what that may mean and they just have a lot of fear and a lot of fear is still instilled in them. So you may not initiate things as soon as you leave. It could be a few years down the track. Like for me, it was a few years down the track that went down that route because when I left, I had an informal parenting um, agreement in place that I created. And that worked for a few years. But because I left when she was very young, that worked. But I wanted to take things into my own hands. So I then strategized and prepared and got everything down, got all the information I needed, and then went into um, down that road. And yes, it's a battle. It is a battle. But you need your emotional reserves beforehand if you can. Obviously, if they initiate custody and the court um, process, that decision is taken out of your hands. So you need to be ready as soon as possible, I would say. But how, how long? How often? Um, mm-hmm. Sorry. No, go ahead. Answer the how long and then I'll ha- I have another question for you. Yeah, that's okay. But how long depends on the person. Like if you want to get there as quickly as possible, like ready for battle, then you hire a high conflict co-parenting coach. Um, unlike normal co-parenting, it's not the same because I, I always say I know nothing about co-parenting because that needs two emotionally healthy individuals, two people who are looking after the best interest of their children. So it's specifically high conflict co-parenting. Co-parenting, as we all know the definition, that's a dream. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's Interesting. a fairy tale land as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is fairy tale land. Now, and mm. my other question for you was, out of any of your cases, clients that you have, how often does the toxic or narcissist officially file it's it's half half really sometimes and it depends where the individual is in their journey sometimes if you're feeling strong enough and it's usually the ones who come and work with me one-on-one they have decided to take control rather than sit in fear waiting for the other person to do something they've decided to take control and that can take time and it's a bit process. I've had a lot of people who follow me for a year or two before they're ready to kind of pull the trigger on that. Um, so, you know, you can't really force anyone to be ready. And then on the flip side, there are people who are like in fear, in anxiety, don't know where to turn because they just don't yet have that clarity and the emotional space to think of a strategy because this person is monopolizing their time, their energy constantly at them. Um, starting fires that you have to put out so you have no capacity to even think about doing anything which is exactly mm. how they how they design it it's a strategy <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah but once you're once you're aware yeah once you're aware and you can actually keep them at arm's length then you can be like okay right what is my next best step and then take the next one and the next one and the next one but if you're still in that fear cycle and um worry 
then you can't really take any action, unfortunately. You're just going to keep looping around and they'll just keep eating away at you and keeping you in their control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just always, always, every interview I have, every podcast I do on my own solo, it just always comes back to your inner strength, your self-identity, and like your own self-sovereignty. Yes. Yeah. And you can't, unless you have that for yourself, or you're at least on your journey to getting that, you cannot support your children to do that as well. I mean, you're going to love them because you're, you know, you're the parent and you love your children, of course but you don't have those skills in place to support them. You are married to someone like this. They have a parent of that nature. You know, it's, it's a little bit different, but they go through the same kind of abuse. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I've worked with children who have a narcissistic or abusive parent, and I've seen the other side of that where they come out with this trauma, uh, not being able to form relationships, not really having a sense of self, being very unsure of who they are, whether they were... You know, usually the scapegoat child, people pleaser, still struggling with their identity. And then on the other side, women who have older adult children who didn't know any of this beforehand. Now they know and they're like, you know, you can't turn back the clock, but then it all makes sense. And their children kind of don't understand because as the mum who didn't really know what she was experiencing, she didn't have these coping mechanisms in place. She didn't protect her children emotionally. You know, she was there, but they were still exposed to this negative parenting style of this other parent, you know. So when we know better, we do better. But, you know, there's always something you can do when you have the awareness. But that's why I try and not warn people, but like, please don't leave it too late. You have this awareness. You found my page. Something isn't right. doesn't matter exactly what it is, but you need to do something now when you're ready. But don't leave it too long. Your children are getting older. They're exposed to this person. You need to parent a thousand times harder. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And I was going to, that kind of talks about the time they spend with this high conflict person. Obviously, in an ideal world, the healthy parent should have 100% custody. But that's not always what happens. So how do you safeguard or what are some things that you can do if your child is with the narcissist for part of the time? Yeah, well, um, this is the thing. They're exposed to the negative parenting style. So that could be um, coercion, denigrating you, belittling you, trying to destroy your bond with the child, trying to turn your child against you. Or, you know, the alternative is the child is the golden child. So they are wrapped around the not parents' little finger. They see no wrong. They could be like a daddy's girl. But this is because this parent has given them everything. They've had zero boundaries. And in the child's eyes, this parent can do no wrong. But on some level, I think they do know because they please that parent because they know if they dare not to, that parent will ignore them or call them names or, you know, they just don't want to see that side of that parent. So they keep them happy, unfortunately. So you can't, as the healthy, safe parent, control what happens over there. You're not a fly on the wall. You just need to be that safe container for your child to have that relationship where they can come to you and talk about how they feel. I mean, obviously in an age-appropriate way, you can use language to explain certain behaviors to them. And this is what I always say to my clients. 
Yes, it's not ideal, but your high-conflict ex will always give you opportunities to teach your children because your children are going to come back and say, you know, let's just say dad said this or did this to me, blah, blah, blah. You then have the opportunity to say, that really wasn't a nice thing. That's very unkind. I'm so sorry. I've experienced that myself. You don't have to say at the hands of that person, but I've experienced that myself. So you validate their feelings and maybe provide them with coping mechanisms to deal with a situation like that in the future. Or explain that, you know, sometimes even adults don't know how to manage their emotions. They're still learning. And, you know, there are books out there that children can read and you can teach them about certain behavioral traits rather than saying your dad is this or they're a bad person or, you know, bad mouth them. You don't even need to do that. Just use that as an example of how you can be healthy, emotionally healthy, and how some people haven't learned and didn't pick up those skills and you know, just because they're adults doesn't mean that they know everything. Mm, I love that. And also that's really hard. I can, I can, I can just sense myself in that parent's shoe <laughs> having a really hard time, not bad mouthing the wrong parent, the one who's not doing the right thing, <laughs> but that's it what the other the one's doing. So you have to rise above that and show yeah. the child that you are safe and you're not going to talk bad about anybody. You're here to support <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. Yes. And if you can differentiate who you are from the other parent, that's the, the sweet spot to be in. You don't do the same as them. You are different. You are kind of like polar opposites to that parent. So if it means if your child comes back and says something or triggers you and you, you, you know, want to react, you can take yourself away, regulate yourself and then come back, you know, um, and that takes practice. It takes determination. It takes being intentional and hearing what isn't said as well it's not just what they say it's their behavior as well if they internalize and go quiet and shut down or if they lash out and have tantrums you know it's usually in those transition periods where they've been at the other house they've been like a you know pressure cooker they're not allowed to be who they are so they come back to you and let loose that's a good sign but you also know, need to know how to manage that and hold that space, be that safe container and help them manage those emotions because they have a parent who's of that nature that are old enough to understand what's going on and you need to equip them so that when the time comes, they can decide to limit their access or cut contact or whatever they want to do, but they are fully informed and it's not some big shock when they're 18. Right. Yeah. That's important. That that transitional period is important and it probably is very triggering for the healthy parent because you might feel guilt that you even got into that situation and beat yourself up about that. And, yeah. you know, I created this and I'm so sorry and I created this bad situation. And at the same time, it's just really hard to deal with those emotions just in general, not having to deal with that with just I, I know I myself, I'm a mother and just having normal emotions. It really takes a lot of breathing yes. and calming yourself yeah. down to be able to hold your child while they're really upset. Yeah. Yes. So a lot, a lot of grounding. Takes work. Grounding yeah. is the key, right? <laughs> it is grounding, continually working on yourself, regulating yourself and managing your own emotions as best you can. Because, yeah. you know, we as the parents are their first teachers. We have to set the example, but if you have no clue then how can you expect them to yeah you know it's true um, I found it really interesting um I was going through your channel on Instagram and people 
you know, sharing with you their experiences about like they think the the 50-50 custody and where the judge was like, ask, you know, the narcissist like, okay, so what days do you want to take the child? <laughs> and the narcissist was like, oh, how about just a couple hours here or there? <laughs> and it's like completely everyone sees it the judge sees it everybody sees that they just want to hurt the other person and they really don't want to spend time with their child they're just using the manipulation tactics yes i'm yet to hear of a case where the <laughs> the narc or high conflict parent hasn't requested 50 50 or even full custody as ridiculous as it sounds but yes it's to hurt you it's to punish you. It's not because they care about the children. It's not because they want to protect them. And usually, even if they are granted 50-50, they're not the ones looking after the child. If they have new supply, that person is looking after the child. So if that's any comfort to anyone, then it's, um, you know, usually the new supply is raising your child, not them. So that's a little bit of comfort. But it's not because they actually want 50-50. It's because they feel that it's fair and that's what they're entitled to and they want to hurt you and punish you but in reality yes it means you actually have to parent which they are incapable of yeah. and I think uh, you know I've said this a few times yes they can feed clothe and bathe them do all the basics but you know um if they're highly covert they will appear to be the best parent ever to the outside world social media but within the home it's a very different story just like it was for you within yeah. the marriage you know, you look like the perfect family, but behind closed doors, you know what you were dealing with. Mm -hmm. yeah. the children. And the control, that control is, they just, they can't handle not having the control. So it makes complete sense that they would choose either 50-50 or full. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, children are an unlimited source of narcissistic supply. So people have asked me in the past, like, why do they choose to have children? Well, that's why. You know, and children are attached or are they going to... Yeah, and they're going to love you unconditionally, but it, they are their own people as well, and they soon will cotton on if you treat them <laughs> in that way, which you will on some level, yeah. you know. Yeah, it usually rears its ugly head when they become teenagers, right? They start to try and develop their own self-autonomy, and the controlling narcissist says, nope, you have to do it my way or the highway. I actually think it's sooner than that. Yeah. Um, depending on, you know, when, uh, the relationship broke down and how soon you get onto this. And if you have the relationship with your child or children, where they do come to you and share their feelings and emotions, they do start to work things out. I mean, they, they do get their critical thinking when they become teenagers, they have the ability to think for themselves, but you can drop breadcrumbs and they do soon put the pieces together without you mm -hmm. saying anything bad about anyone in particular. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So maybe like five or yeah. six, they start five or six, they probably start coming to you and saying like, mommy or daddy said this. And when they can, yeah, when they can articulate their feelings a bit better and communicate and actually think, and when they ask questions a lot, so, you know, <laughs> they're asking a lot of questions, <laughs> maybe, why are you not together? What happened? Especially if the other parent, I mean, the other parent starts this, they fill their head with something, which is a lie. So you are left then, how do I defend myself? How do I tell the child the truth, but in a way that doesn't badmouth the other parent? Like, for example, the other parent might say that your mom stole you from me or took you away or kicked me out, wherever it may be. 
So the other parent has then opened that can of worms. You have to pick up the pieces in the most healthy way for the child and in an age-appropriate manner as well. Mm-hmm. So that you don't, you know, add to their confusion, but you answer their questions and satisfy that at least. Yeah, it sounds like, because one of the questions I had for you was, like, what are some tips for the healthy parent struggling with the narcissist turning your child against you? And it sounds like a lot of that is communication, being safe, you know, not yes. stooping to their level. Any other? There's, yes. And, and I always say this, like, there's no, like, real tip because a tip is just something for a quick issue that can be easily fixed. This is something that is, has to be consistently applied because if your child is, say, six or seven, you have another 11 years of at least of this. It doesn't all have to be a nightmare, but if you have these tools and strategies in place and coping mechanisms for yourself and the child, it becomes a lot easier and they are able to think for themselves and have that autonomy regardless of which household they're in. But it's, it all starts with you. You are their teacher. You're their first teacher. If you don't have boundaries in place, how can you teach your children to have boundaries? If you don't know how to manage your emotions, how can they manage their emotions? And they're going to need to having that person in their life uh, affect <laughs> them in either way. Like whether the, you know, the child's going to love that parent, but they could be the golden child or the scapegoat child, both are detrimental. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it starts with you teaching your children about boundaries, teaching your children about certain behaviors, use movies, use books to depict and give examples of um these behaviors that they may be coming to you and explaining that someone, you know, this parent said this to me or did this to, or called me a name, you know, explain, you know, I have affirmation cards for my daughter specifically for children and they're beautiful affirmation cards that, you know, I'm in charge of my body and I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I'm friendly. I speak up against bullies and things like that. So it's always like, um, you know, what, what is a bully? What is this? What is that? And asking them to think for themselves rather than telling them because the other parent is telling. You need to, that's what I mean about dropping those breadcrumbs so that they pick them up and they ask questions and you can explore that together. And it's not like you pushing or forcing anything on them. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they feel it already. Energetically, they're safe with you. You are allowing them space to think be their own person. You're encouraging them. You feel safe to them. And I think kids are a lot more in tune with their bodies than adults are. But at the same time, we've been conditioned from childhood to ignore what we're feeling. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. being able to communicate about all of that. And it's almost like a boot camp of emotional intelligence when you're dealing with high conflict parent. It is. It is. And, you know, a good uh, general thing or general tip is think about all the things if you are having to co-parent with someone of this nature, think about all the things you wish you'd had known before you ended up in this situation. Do you wish that you'd had boundaries? Do you wish that you'd known that there were these people out there who pretended to love you when they didn't? Did you wish that, you know, you had a voice and you knew that you had a voice and that your voice mattered? Do you wish that you felt comfortable making decisions rather than just accepting what people tell you? So all those things is what you then need to teach your children, that it's okay. Um, But there is a fine line, of course, between being a parent and having those boundaries with your child as well, so that you don't just let them get away with everything just because you feel bad or guilty for the fact that you 
chose a parent who was not ideal. Yeah. So we can't be acting in guilt and giving and bending over backwards for children either. They're, they need to find that fine line between having those firm boundaries, holding space and helping them cultivate their sense of self. Mm-hmm. So it's some, a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to have the, you know, capacity emotionally to do that yourself for yourself and then you can then support your children you can't support your children if you're still dysregulated and learning in fear you know the fear is always going to be there but you can really calm yourself once you have that person on the outside and I always say it's to create that narc proof home keep that person on the outside they don't enter your home energetically no longer physically but not energetically either mm-hmm yeah, whoosh, yeah. whoosh, when they dropped off, whoosh, whoosh, out the door, all that energy. Yes. Um, yeah, or even, you know, find somewhere neutral where you don't have to have them come in your safe place either. Yeah, that yeah, actually would ideal. be wise and ideal. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, because in some circumstances, they, they really, you're trying to protect like you don't want them to know where you live like you want that to remain a mystery some some circumstances because yeah i mean if if go ahead if you're allowed to i mean if you've got court orders they kind of do need to know where the child is living but you don't have to do pick up and drop off at your home and have that energy in your home that disgustingness because it is disgusting You, you know school can be the place you know mcdonald's car park Things like that. It doesn't have to be face-to-face. There are a lot of things you can do to limit their access to you and limit the their opportunities to get you and abuse you. You know, basically, I just teach women how to shut down their high-conflict texts and put them in their place because that's what they need, yeah. unfortunately, because they are throwing balls at you from all angles and you need to stop playing their, their games and start strategizing and playing your own and play by your own rules because you get more peace and freedom that way but it takes being intentional with your actions and preparing yeah and as you're as you're talking through through all that I'm just thinking of course because they would feel completely comfortable and know that no one's looking over at your house to do whatever they want to do you know spew all their Mm. venom and try and pull you into their drama but if they're out in public, oh, they're going to keep on that mask and they're going to keep a good face. So, and if exactly. you're gray rocking them as you're exchanging, oh, all is good. And then you just whoosh, whoosh, drive away and you're <laughs> clean yeah, from done. that. You just, you just have to now manage your child and their emotions, which you can do. Yes. <laughs> and you know, when they get back, you know, they, there's going to be a little bit of transition time. And, you know, a lot of the time it can take a couple of days for the child to settle. And then you have a good few days with them and then they've got to go again. But that's okay. That time where they are maybe dysregulated and erratic or tantruming or shutting down, it's just holding that space and kind of shaking up the energy, having a definite kind of routine in place so that there is a separation between that home and this home. Now we're here. This is what we do. And then you regenerate them ready for the next batch of time they have to go there. Mm-hmm. And it, that's yeah. why I always say you just got to you've got to parent a thousand times harder, but that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It just helps you become yeah. a better parent. If they're really dysregulated, are there certain things that you found help? Like, 
I have, I'm not in this situation, but I have my own kids just who have normal emotions. And so sometimes it's like just getting outside and scootering or walking, or maybe one of them needs to be held like a little baby, even though they're not like. Yes. It's, I think switching up the energy, switching up the energy within their bodies, like, and following their cues, like if they want to go in their room and read for an hour, just to kind of decompress, it's like a decompression chamber. Sometimes they want to reconnect with mom or dad. Sometimes they want to go and read. Sometimes they want to play with their toys or play with, you know, their siblings. But yes, I think switching up the energy or going to get ice cream or having some kind of routine that this is the reconnection, we're reunited, some family time, if they want to, don't force them. But I think it's it depends on the child's age and their level of understanding as well. But it's just helping them cope with over there, they had to be a little robot. Over here, you're free to be who you are. They need some time to adjust. And it's remembering that when you have that experience, you know, I know for me personally, being in the home and when they were at work and I was with my child, it was night and day. But then the hours leading up to home time, the anxiety started and you just had to get ready for the onslaught. They weren't sure what was going to come, but you could have a great time out in the day. I remember I'd go to like mother's group or whatever. And then it was just like the anxiety started a few hours before they were home. And then just, it's not a way to live. And that's why for your children, they can't articulate that. They don't maybe understand that it's the other parent causing that in them. So you need to be there ready with some suggestions and maybe depending on their age, include them in the suggestions of, okay, what can we do to maybe make you feel good? Do you want to go and go for a run? Do you want to go on the trampoline? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to hug? Do you want to watch a movie? What would you like to do? I just want to go and read. That's okay. Come to me when you're ready and we'll, you know, carry on doing whatever. Rather than forcing and pushing and probing, I think. Yeah. 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 And that already is like, oh, I get to choose now. Oh, this feels good. And so you're already setting that environment. Yeah. 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 They uh-huh. get to choose. And within reason, they have choices. They have a voice. And it's okay to use it and you don't have to believe or trust anything anyone says, including me. You have to question everything. Let them know it's okay. They're not going to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a healthy yeah. parent will have an answer that makes sense. And you can give examples yes. where the unhealthy person who you shouldn't trust will not really have a real good answer. And they'll start to learn well, and see that pattern as they get older, right? Yeah, they'll, they'll either shut you down, shut down the question, or make it someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. Put the blame elsewhere, or shut you down, or just use the fact I'm your father or mother, so don't question me. Because yeah, I said their so. authority. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that doesn't satisfy a child. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have one last question before we wrap up. Um, and it, it is about boundaries. And I, th- I was hoping you could expand about on this because as empaths, it's really uncomfortable and we want to be kind and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But what is the difference between boundaries versus being rude? Yeah, so I did a reel on that uh, the other day. So it being who we are, like empaths, kind caring compassionate loving people it is hard to switch that off when you're dealing with certain people but it is necessary because I I always say this it's like when you set a boundary someone isn't going to like it and it 
it needs to not be you. So it's either if you're going to please other people, know and be aware that you're the one that's going to not be happy. You're going to feel sad, upset, angry with yourself, kicking yourself that I wish I'd said that, but I didn't. So, you know, do I want to be hurt or am I okay, the other person being hurt or unhappy? And there is a way to set boundaries without being rude. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to shout, scream. They don't even have to be verbal boundaries. But it's really thinking about these are my needs and wants or these are the needs and wants of my children. I'm going to communicate those and I'm okay with the other person not accepting and not liking them. They are mine and I'm allowed and they are my right. It took a long time. I know for me personally, like, uh, when I was learning about boundaries, I didn't have any boundaries. I realized, oh my God, like I did not have any boundaries whatsoever. I was like wide open. Everyone just come, take what you want, take what you need. And I'm just here. But um, yeah, yes is all around. Yes is all around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It ties in with the people pleasing thing. Like I was a good girl people pleaser, you know, that's how I was raised. And um, not that anyone told me that's how I had to be, but, but that's kind of how I evolved as a person. But, um, you know, I'm still kind, caring, compassionate and loving. But when I'm dealing with certain people, I have to put this other hat on and they get dealt with in this way. And then I take the hat off and I'm back to me. But you have to armor up, boundary up. Otherwise, you will end up getting hurt and you will end up being dissatisfied with the outcomes that you're getting. So it's personally okay and within your rights. And even today, I still feel like sometimes harsh, but it's like, no. The alternative is this, and I don't want to feel this, so that's how it has to happen. But a lot of people think boundaries are verbal. They're not necessarily. It's also what you don't say and what you don't do. Mm. That's a way of setting a boundary. But it takes practice. It takes being consistent and diligent and not faltering, no matter if you get a negative reaction. It's not like that doesn't mean that you have to take that boundary away. It just means it's working and it was necessary. So trusting yourself and it gets, you know, trusting yourself is part of the journey as well. Trusting your own decisions, trusting your thoughts and your intentions. I mean, very clear on that. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that concept. You're right. Boundaries doesn't always involve saying something to somebody. It could mean not, not engaging in the drama. That's a boundary already. Yeah. Not engaging. Taking them off your phone, having a different phone, having a different email. You know, I know a lot of people who follow still think boundaries are verbal and they get anxiety and worried about it. Yeah, of course it is. It does cause anxiety when you've got to actually say something to someone. They don't, that doesn't have to be the way. It just means I'm disengaging. I'm not communicating. I'm not going to indulge you. I'm not going to give you what you want. But you don't say that. It's just by your behavior. That's the outcome. Yeah. Because <laughs> every time you give in, every time you interact, you're like, oh man, you can't treat the narcissist as a healthy human being because they are not in that mindset. So they will take whatever you're saying, spin it around, throw it at you, you know, and now it has darts. And you're like, whoa, yes. I regret, I immediately regret <laughs> that I talked to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. Anyway, don't give them what they want, starve them. And, you know, a lot of uh, people think, oh, yes. The narcissist sets so many boundaries. They don't set boundaries. They're not boundaries. They have zero boundaries. They're rules and regulations. You don't have to participate. But people get confused saying he sets so many boundaries. They're not boundaries. 
Because they're control <laughs> tactics. <laughs> they're not healthy yeah, boundaries. There is a difference. Yeah. Boundaries are to protect you. They are not to hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they convince themselves and even project it back on others if you might call them out on those things. And call them boundaries, yes. which is the other confusing part. You're like, oh, wait, am I the narcissist? And it's like, wait, no, no, don't yeah. listen to them. They just turned it all around and threw it back on you. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing. Give them this little opportunity to throw anything back at you by disengaging and getting out of their sphere of chaos and drama. And it's like coming back to that thing, keep them at arm's length, keep them out of your mind, your home, your space, because you need that so that you have the clarity to focus on what's important, which is your children and which is you. They are just there. And I've said in one of my videos somewhere, they need to become like a little gnat that's just flying around your head and you swat it away. That's it. That's the place you need to be. You're causing inconvenience. They're not going to crawl under a rock and leave you alone. You just swat it away with the tools, strategies, and coping mechanisms you have in place. But without them, yeah, they're going to they're going to penetrate you and affect you. But that's all in your mind, right? That's the constant practice yeah. of grounding and that self-work for, for you to be able literally to shrink this giant dragon who you're so afraid of down to a tiny little gnat can be done. Yeah. Like you said, it takes work. It can be. It can be. <laughs> like If I'm able to do it, my clients are able to do it, then anybody can. But it's just being ready to, to do what's necessary to, to make that happen. Uh, and mindsets, it's a change and shift in your mindset that they don't have any power unless you give it to them. Everyone knows that intellectually, but when you start practicing these things, then you start to realize a shift and then you gain momentum and it does become easier. But there's always, always going to throw something at you, but you're going to have uh, something to mitigate that or, you know, okay, I'm not going to react or respond. Actually, it doesn't even require a response. They can say what they like, you know. Mm. And I think a lot of people struggle with how to communicate and ro- worry about what's the right thing to say and what's going to come back on me if we go to court and things like that, which, you know, when you know how to deal with them, when you know their patterns, it becomes very easy to sort and, and stift. That requires a response. That doesn't require a response. I'm disengaging here. They, they may continue to email you, but it's just documentation. You file it away, ready for the day. That's yeah. going to come when you need it. And yeah. when you ignore them in emails or text and you, they continue to get mad and then they email you again and then they start to like their, their emails start to get more vicious and back more vicious. Back. You're like, Ooh, perfect. Yeah. Keep on, keep them coming. I got this. Keep going. For it coming. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. That's why you need to be able to detach from that and not yeah. like have anxiety every time you see that text message or that email. It's more documentation for you. It's like more evidence for you. It's like, it's fine. It's great. Just do not engage. Don't let it ruffle your feathers. Remain grounded. Um, and I'll just finish with this. Like, if you can get to the place where you can see your situation from a bird's eye view or from a third person, that is the best, best place to be in because you detach emotionally from the outcome. You detach emotionally from being so close to the situation. Then you're able to make better decisions. Yes, it's easier said than done. That's what I guide and support my clients to do. You you can do that and it's necessary. And you put that hat on and you take it off. Whenever you have to deal with them, the hat goes on and then you take it off or cape, whatever you want to, you know, use. Yes. What a metaphor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Oh, thank you so much. That's really so beautiful and extremely helpful. Uh, I really appreciate your time for being here on the podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you again for having me. This is, you know, what I do all day, every day. And if I can help one more person shut them down and put them in their place, then my job is done as far as I'm concerned. You are an amazing warrior. Thank you so much for your work and your dedication to all those who need you. Oh, thank you. I have all her links in the show notes. Absolutely reach out to her and connect with her. If you are in the midst of this and you're struggling and this really resonates with you, also take a screenshot of this episode, post it to your Instagram stories and tag both of us at Raven Scott Show and at NARC underscore proof underscore and underscore thriving. We would love to connect with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing and reviewing my book, Empath and the Narcissist, available on Amazon. I am giving out a free gift of weekly support in your inbox and a live workshop. So when you buy your copy, we will immediately start sending you a year of sparkle reminders. Every Saturday, I will email you a powerful affirmation and musing to help you boost your self-esteem and emotional intelligence. Plus, receive your free ticket to an exclusive How to Embrace Yourself live workshop, October 18th. Heal from narcissistic abuse, rise up in your power, and own your worthiness for abundance. There's just a few steps to follow. Go to ravenscott.show forward slash empath and the narcissist and click the link in the show notes to get your copy, share your order number, and immediately get your free gifts today. And remember, everybody, keep Swear your unique light shining. This. Why do I regret this? In my mind, reckless thoughts are feeling endless. Sitting up, I'm breathless. Anxiety's infectious. I feel so defenseless, betrayed and embarrassed. I hate being open. I hate being broken. I feel like an ocean filled up with emotion. Anger ain't a potion. Rub it on like lotion. I can feel it soaking. Reopen the scars have awoken. I can't move.